Right, good morning, everybody. Um, to those of you online, we're so excited to have you. I trust that if you're online, you've got an extra blanket and a cup of tea, because, gosh, it is very nippy this morning. And I am delighted to be here with you to kind of do this last message in our series. The series has been called Becoming Emotionally Mature, and we have this tagline, From Shallow Faith to Deep Transformation. And up front, we recognize that the things that we've been talking about, the process of becoming emotionally mature, spiritually mature, well, it's a lifelong process. And we know that in a sense, we, all we've done is skim the topics over these past weeks. And if you look at the topics that we've covered, they're up there on the screen. I mean, those are big things. And obviously, there's no way that in four weeks, oh, we've conquered them. And maybe you're like me and you've got that feeling like, sure, there is just still so much more growth and so much more maturing that needs to happen in me. Um, but that's okay, because discipleship, deep transformation, that is going to take all of life. And all of life is discipleship. And so we embrace a journey and a lifelong process. And over these weeks, what we've seen is that emotions are a core part of who God is. And they're one of the attributes that he shared with us when he created us. And so emotional maturity, emotional health, is about being aware of these emotions and knowing that these emotions can help to tell us about the state of what is going on in our heart and in our soul. In a sense, they're like the lights on the car's dashboard. And when those lights come on, they tell us that something is happening beneath the surface. Something is happening in the engine. And we can ignore those lights But then we shouldn't be surprised when there is less optimal performance and when maybe things start to break down. So as we grow in emotional maturity, we're growing in our awareness of our emotions, what makes us healthy, what makes us unhealthy, how we act, how we react more appropriately. And in all of this, what we're doing is we're bringing our full selves, including our emotions, to God. And we're putting them under his authority and we're asking God through his spirit to change us and to make us more like him. But I know that sometimes this whole process can feel a little bit introspective and a little bit self-absorbed and self-centered because I'm focusing on me and becoming a better person and being in touch with my emotions. I know some people also see it as quite self-helpy because again, I seem to just be focusing on me. And so that's why this week we land the series by focusing on what is the outflow of this maturity and this growth, and that it doesn't just stay with us, but as we grow in maturity, as we grow in being spiritually mature, it actually overflows, and it goes out to other people. And so today's message is called, Let Love Be the Measure of Maturity. Let Love Be the Measure of Maturity. And if you've been following along, or if you're someone who likes to go deeper on the podcast, you want to listen to part six, and if you're reading in the book, then you want to read chapter seven, because a lot of today's material comes from there. So let's pray, and then we're going to dive right in. Y'all, Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to be shaped by you this morning, and once again, we want to open ourselves to you, and we want to ask you to speak to us and to shape us. We want to ask you to challenge us. We want to ask you to make us more like you as we open your word and explore what it is that you are teaching us and showing us. Holy Spirit, come and do your work in us as we listen. Amen. Okay, so take a moment to consider what you think the measure of spiritual maturity is. 
So when you say, oh, so-and-so, you know, they're really spiritually mature, what do you mean by that? What do you kind of, how do you define it? And I want to tell a story to illustrate. In um, the Emotionally Healthy book, Peter Scazzaro refers to Martin Buber. And Martin Buber is a well-known Jewish German theologian, a writer, a philosopher who was alive in the 1900s. And um, he tells the story of how one day, uh, it's in 1914, it's just after World War I has broken out in Europe, a young man comes to visit Martin Buber and asks to have a chat with him. And Martin Buber has spent the morning in this kind of glorious encounter with God. He's had this amazing experience of God. And he comes into this conversation, and they have this conversation, and the young man leaves. And a, while, a little while later, Buber finds out that the young man has committed suicide. And he realizes that in that moment, he had missed it. Because the young man hadn't come to him casually, hadn't just come for a, a friendly conversation the young man had come to him in desperation. He was in a space where he was making a crucial decision and he needed help. And so he writes this. The guilt that Buber felt was not that he had somehow failed to remove the young man's despair, but that he had failed to be fully present to him. He was so preoccupied by his own experience with God earlier that morning that he failed to bring the full resources of his attention to their conversation. He did not turn to the young man with his whole being, and instead of genuinely listening, he brought the equivalent of leftovers, a courteous but partial engagement. And for Buber, he realized that it is possible to have profound spiritual experiences, a faith that can move mountains, but that such a faith is worth nothing without a deeply present love for people, a deeply present love for people. And so we see how Buber's understanding, his definition of what it means to be spiritually mature, shifts and changes. When Jesus is asked, what is the greatest commandment, what does he say? Let's read from Matthew 22. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And... The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So Jesus is asked, well, what's the greatest commandment? Give us the one thing that we need to do. And he goes, no, 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 they're two. <laughs> because to him, they are inseparable. It's like they're the same, the same coin, but it has two sides. Love God, love people, love God, love people. They are two, they are inseparable. And so love is actually the measure of spiritual maturity. Love. And at the core of our faith is this idea that we should be growing in love, learning how to love, learning how to love well, learning how to love better, growing in our love for God and growing in our love for other people. And in a sense, it's the curriculum of our faith. This is where we learn to do life. We learn to live out our faith, that loving people well should be one of the defining characteristics of a mature Christian. And so we are called to be the best lovers of people on the face of the earth. It's an amazing calling. And I think Jesus gives us these two because he knows that if he gave us just one summer, we would get the focus wrong. If we focused only on loving God, we can somehow even make that quite self-absorbed and we would forget to overflow 
from that love to other people. And if we focus only on loving people, then sometimes we would forget, well, where is the source of that love? And what is the motive for that love? Well, it's found here, where we are loved by God, and as a result, we overflow in that love to other people. So the motive for our love, the source of our love, even the way that we love, isn't defined by us. It's defined by God and how he loves us. So today we're going to be reading a passage from John 13. It's a fairly well-known passage, but as we read, I want you to just look, listen to Jesus. What does he say? What does he do? Because he's setting such a beautiful example of love in action. It was just before the Passover festival, and Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. And so he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who've had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you, he asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. And very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a master greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. And then Jesus predicts that Judas is going to betray him. Judas leaves. And then we pick up again in verse 33. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me. And just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. And so a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And so it's a beautiful passage because Jesus isn't just telling us how to love. He actually is demonstrating it and he's showing it to us. So if you think of the day, the dinnertime custom would be to lean back and eat around the table and take your evening meal, kind of reclining. And so after walking through the dirty streets and at the end of a very long day, you would wash feet because the feet are going to be close to the food. And usually the lowest servant in the household would perform this task. And it was a way that you were showing honor to the guests in your home when you washed their feet. Now, the Last Supper is taking place in a private home, and in a sense, it's just Jesus and his disciples. It's a very intimate moment, and we can understand why there weren't servants around. But we see Jesus choosing to take on the role of a servant, 
And he chooses that role and washes the dusty, dirty feet of his disciples. And in doing that, he's setting this incredible example. And his humility is on display for us to learn from. He rolls up his sleeves and he washes their feet. And it includes Judas. Judas, who we know, is about to betray him. It includes Peter, who by the end of this evening is going to even deny knowing Jesus. And yet he still demonstrates love and washes their feet. And then he commands them to do the same. One of the key concepts that Schizero explores in his book is this idea of incarnation. Incarnation, which is defined as a person who embodies in the flesh a deity, a spirit, or a quality. And of course, Jesus is this. He is the incarnation of God. Jesus is God moving into our world. Jesus is God with skin on. He is the incarnational presence of God. And so when we want to understand what God is like, we look at Jesus. And Scripture explores this in a number of ways. Let's look at a few of those. Philippians 2, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. And John 1 says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Colossians 1, he, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. And so here is Jesus, God with skin on. And in this moment, this interaction of washing the disciples' feet, it almost sums up beautifully so much of what Jesus is about. Because his whole life is about serving other people. And he puts aside his advantages and his position and his wealth and his status and his godliness. And he chooses to come in human form to show us who God is, to show us what God is like. And his whole life is spent humbly serving other people. And so this is literally displayed here. He's washing feet. And then a few hours later, he is going to wash away the sins of the world as he dies on the cross. And he lays down his very life so that we can experience forgiveness and we can experience God's love. And even in that moment when he's dying, he, he's, he's aware of the people around him. So he calls out to God for forgiveness for the people who are killing him. And he notices his mother and he makes a plan that John is going to look after her after his death. So he, even right up to that point of death, he is aware and noticing other people. If you're listening today, maybe you're still exploring, well, who is this Christ and what is he like? Today's text is just such a beautiful kind of powerful summary of the God that we serve. Because this is our Savior. He's a God who comes close to us. He's a God who draws near. He's a God who's accessible. And he's not aloof and far off. He is a God who demonstrates humility and love. And because of that closeness, there's an invitation to respond to. Would you come close to and interact with him and get to know him? And so verse 35 says, By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. And so that's the measure. That's how the world knows that we are his disciples. And so when you pray, oh God, won't you show so-and-so that you love them? 
Well, the, how God is going to answer that prayer is he's going to send you, <laughs> and you're going to love them. And the way that you love them is going to tell them about God's love, and they're going to experience God's love through you. So I want to look at three specifics, three quite practical ideas of how we love, how we love well, how we learn from Jesus's example. And I believe that although they're simple, and you've probably heard them before, like it's going to be nothing new, I think they are still a fresh reminder to us and a timely reminder to us in this season. Because we can't be the church gathered as often as we'd like, maybe it's not even like what we used to, but we still get to be the church in the places that God has put us. And we get to be the church in in fresh new ways. Rick Warren puts it like this. He says, this time is not about getting the community into our churches. It's about getting our church into our community. And so as I begin this section, what I want you to do is to picture your world. I want you to imagine like that Google map with a pin. So picture where you live and the neighborhood that you live in, If you're going into work, picture where that is, to school, to varsity, maybe where you fill up with petrol, the stores that you visit, your favorite coffee shop or your favorite restaurant, your gym, your sports club, wherever you go, kind of picture that map with all those little pins, and I want you to have that in mind as we explore these three things, to be, to listen, and to serve. To be, to listen, and to serve. So the first thing we learned from Jesus is to be, to be present and to be fully present. And that's very simple, but it's quite profound and it's quite difficult to be fully present in the moment, not giving somebody your leftovers where you are distracted or preoccupied and not just being physically present, but also bringing your best self to that moment, not detached not distracted or irritable or reactive, but bringing your best self. And I recognize that COVID realities have made this really difficult. So for many of us, COVID has meant that we cannot be present with people as much as we would like to. The levels of lockdown has caused isolation and caused loneliness. And for many people, there's been a retreat and a withdrawal whether that's intentionally or not, because you haven't been able to be with people and to share with people and to be fully present with people. And there's a deficit. And then there's those of us who've been with the same people a lot, okay? And as a result, it's brought out some of the worst stuff in us rather than the best stuff. And through the various levels of lockdowns, oh, we've seen those people a lot, but not necessarily being fully present or bringing our best self. And then there's also been this weird blurring of boundaries. And so my work life and my home life and school life is all kind of mixed up. And so I'm trying to fit a lot in and there's lots going on and I'm distracted and I'm interrupted and I'm trying to multitask and I'm trying to deal with this crisis. And so I haven't been present with the people that I am with And some of us have felt overwhelmed in the season, and so what we've done is we've distracted ourselves, and that's been our coping mechanism, whether it's watching lots of Netflix. The other one I noticed was excessive Olympics watching. Every event, you know, you had to watch it all. Or even overworking, because then you can feel busy and productive and in control. And so those are some of the bad habits that have crept in. I think all of us have adopted some bad habits over the last while, and those things 
rob us of being fully present. And I know for me personally, as I've prepared this message, this is the point where I felt like, oh, I might as well just speak to myself, um, really, on this point particularly. When our preaching team chose the topics, we deliberately chose topics that we thought, oh, I need to grow in that. I need to explore that a bit more fully. And that's certainly been true for me as I've um, explored this point. And so I am going to spend a little bit longer on this one, and I think it's mainly because I'm speaking to myself. One of the things I noticed, um, I'm a fairly regular user of the Lectio app. I don't know how many of you are using that, but it's a great app. And one of the things I've loved that they've introduced this year is evening prayers, where at the end of the day, you um, kind of reflect on your day, and then you, you kind of go through a process where you pray through those things, and you think about maybe the stress from the day that you need to release, or things that you need to repent of from the day, confess to God, receive His forgiveness, um, and it's all rooted in Scripture. So it's quite a powerful journey. And as I've done that, one thing I've realized that I consistently have to repent of is distraction. That when I think about my day, and I go, okay, where did I miss it? The moments, the conversations, the situations which didn't go well, or where I didn't offer my best self or bring my best self to that moment, it was because I was distracted and I was preoccupied. And the contrast is when I read the Gospels, I see Jesus who is fully present and fully open to the opportunities around him. Let me share just one example. The other day I was reading the story of Jesus and Zacchaeus. And this is an incredible story because, you know, the fact that Jesus even sees Zacchaeus shows that he's aware because Zacchaeus is in a tree. I mean, we don't normally look for people in trees, you know. So he notices Zacchaeus and he interacts with him. And then he gets invited to his house for dinner. And I'm pretty certain that on the disciples' outline for the day of what Jesus was going to do, it didn't say, okay, dinner with Zacchaeus. No, it was an interruption to the plan. But Jesus is open to that. And as a result, Zacchaeus has this life-changing interaction. And his world is turned upside down as Jesus meets with him and chats to him and challenges him. Jesus is fully present to the opportunities around him. Recently, um, we had a leadership time with Donnie Griggs at Common Ground Leaders from across the city, kind of in this online forum. And Donnie's a church leader in America, and he's one of kind of our trusted voices. We, he's been to our church. Some of our leaders have been to his church, so we really love him. And he was talking to us and challenging us about being called to the places we find ourselves in. And that when we have that sense of calling, that overflows into loving those places and loving the people in those places. And he had four like, just simple ideas that I want to share with you because I think they're super helpful. And as I do that, think of your map. Think of your pins, those places that you go to on a daily or a weekly basis, and just have that in your mind. So the first thing he said was to be present, okay, which kind of sums up this point, but to keep your radar up and just to notice the people around you. And one of the easiest ways to do that is to be off your phone and to put your device away. Because there's people around us all the time. You know, when we're in the grocery store, when we're at the till, when we're um, kind of picking up our kids from the school gates, there are people around us. And are we noticing them? Are we aware of them? And phones are often the easiest way to be distracted or interrupted or preoccupied. They are an enemy of being fully present. And one of the young moms in our community, she was part of this leadership event, and the very next day, she had the most amazing conversation with another parent at the school gate. And uh, she knows that that only happened 
because she chose to leave her phone in the car and to be fully present and to engage with this person. So be present and then be persistent. So over and over again, kind of have these rhythms, have these opportunities often come up as we are regular in our rhythms. So think about kind of those daily rhythms, those weekly rhythms where you start to get into conversations and opportunities open up. Go to the same petrol station, go to the same coffee shop, even sit at the same table so the same waiter or waitress is going to serve you. And then you start to have these conversations and these opportunities. In the Bible, we see Jesus is recognized in his hometown. He was around enough that people knew who he was. So be around enough in your rhythms that people recognize you. And then the rapport and the connection can grow. The third thing is to be patient. That building relationships, building connections often takes time. Because you're building a bridge. And in a sense, you're earning the right to be heard. And so be slow, be careful in building those bridges of connection. And then finally, to be prepared. To have your eyes open and to be ready for opportunities that come. Because if you are doing these things, the opportunities will come. And so to be ready to listen and to be ready to speak. And so in illustration of this, I want to take the gap to tell you about Zane. Okay, Zane is a common grounder. He's a business owner, but he's also a communication specialist. And he spends a lot of time out and about meeting and interacting with people. And whenever I chat to Zane, I'm always inspired by two things. Firstly, Zane loves people and he really sees people. And so he always talks about people by name and he knows their family and their life and what's going on, etc. and the challenges that they're facing. But Zane's also really passionate about Jesus. And so he very naturally and very easily will talk about Jesus, will talk about God, will talk about his faith and his church and the difference that makes in his life. And so as a result, God uses those two things and he uses Zane. And so whenever you chat to Zane, there's always a story and it's always a current story because he's been used. And so in our last conversation, Zane was telling me about two things that I want to share with you. One was he, had an, he was building a kind of a relationship with one of his clients who was a Muslim gentleman. And Zane got invited to his home. And it was during Eid. And so Zane then got invited to share a meal with the family as they broke the fast together. And there's just been this growing relationship. And it's an opportunity for Zane to share his faith and about his life and his family. The two families have interacted. And then this family have expressed an interest. One of the things Zane is involved in is a prison ministry where they do prayer walks. And they've said, oh, we'd love to come and see and be part of that. Zane also told me about a woman and her family who, um, who had kind of left church and drifted away from God. But for over a year, whenever Zane was in the area, he felt to go and make time to see her because he really felt like God had laid her and, and her family on his heart. And so he regularly would pop in, and they would chat and chat over coffee. Zane got to share his testimony. And Zane and his wife, Sunette, and their two girls were invited to witness one of the family members getting baptized through Common Ground. And now this woman has joined their life group, and in the near future, they are going to be baptizing her too. And it's just this incredible story of the opportunities that come as you are open to being used by God. I love the saying, wherever you are, be all there. Wherever you are, be all there. And so think about that as you go into your week, as you go into your world this week. How, am I, how do I help myself be all there? 
Because there are some habits that we have, some behaviors that will feed presence, and then some habits and behaviors that feed distraction. And so one more example, because I knew I was preaching, I had, I've had my radar up for examples, and one example that's relevant for me at the moment is Zoom meetings, okay? I do a lot of Zoom meetings because we're online. And so I've noticed there's a bit of a spectrum of how you participate in a Zoom meeting. So on the one hand here is the person who sits in a chair, they're a little bit distant from the computer because they want to just be focused, they don't have anything else around them, maybe they just have a notebook because they're taking notes. And then at this end of the spectrum, those people who, the, the camera's off, the mic is off, so like they never say anything and you're like, I don't even know if they're actually even there. And then in the middle, there's the rest of us, and I sit here, and I'm right up close because I've got multiple screens open. I'm a little bit distracted. I'm often multitasking. Sometimes I'll even reply to a sneaky WhatsApp message on the side while I'm in the Zoom meeting. And I've just been aware of that, and I'm like, what are the new habits that I need to enforce? What are some bad habits that I need to break so that in that situation, I can be more present and I can be more engaged? And so I'd encourage you to find your own examples and think of ways that you can be more present. That's the first one. It's my longest point. Wherever you are, be all there. Be fully present. So let's move to the second one. The second one is to listen and to listen better. David Augsburg sums it up like this. Being heard is so close to being loved that for the average person, they are almost indistinguishable. Being heard is so close to being loved that for the average person, they are almost indistinguishable. And if we go back to today's passage, we remember kind of this last supper, this interaction, it's happening over a whole evening. And if you look at what is happening over those hours in the various gospel accounts, you'll see that during the course of the night, Jesus is having really profound conversations with his disciples. And he's answering their questions and he's trying to prepare them for what is about to happen. He's interacting with them. He's listening to them. He's quite patient. I mean, just watch how he handles Peter. And Peter's asking all these questions which are a little bit um, wacky. Peter can always be a bit like off-center. But Jesus is, is listening for actually what's going on behind those questions. And he's dealing with some of the fears and some of the insecurities that Peter has. Well, think about your conversations over the last while. How you listened Did you listen well? Were you attentive? Were you empathetic? Were you distracted? Were you listening or were you just waiting to speak? And the Gospels are full of Jesus interacting with people where he is engaged and he is listening. And so we see him with Nicodemus, with Nathaniel, with a Samaritan woman, with a blind man. All of these interactions, he's present. He's never in a rush. He's never distracted. When the rich young ruler comes to Jesus, we're told Jesus looked at him and loved him. We get the sense that Jesus really saw him. And he's always open to hearing and exploring people's stories. Have you ever heard someone say this? Oh, let me tell you about those Christians, especially those Christians that go to common ground. They are fantastic listeners. I've never met a bunch of people who just listen so attentively, who are so interested in me, who listen to my answers who want to know more. Instead, research shows us that only about 10% of us listen effectively. Quoting from Psychology Today, we are so distracted 
by the cacophony of dings and tweets from our smartphones, not to mention our ever-growing to-do lists, that we struggle to focus and listen when people talk to us. And if we're not distracted by technology, our own thoughts can keep us from listening to another person. We often think that we are listening, but we're actually just considering how to jump in to tell our own story, offer advice, or even make a judgment. In other words, we're not listening to understand, but rather to reply. Maybe, <laughs> like me, you can identify with some of those bad habits. And Peter Scazzaro in his book refers to these three questions that we ask ourselves as we enter a conversation. Am I fully present or distracted? Am I loving or judging? Am I open or closed to being changed? Listening is an incredible skill, and it takes time, and it takes practice, and it takes feedback. So think about when was the last time you asked a significant other to give you some feedback on how well you listen? And when was the last time you actually evaluated your own listening and explored how you could do it better? And so in our life groups this week, we are going to explore some very specific listening skills to help equip us a little bit better in this area. We need to learn from Jesus. We need to listen better. And that brings me to the third and final point, which is to serve relentlessly. To serve relentlessly. So in this passage today, we've had this beautiful picture of Jesus humbly serving. And just prior to this encounter, the disciples have had this conversation about who is going to be the greatest among them. And Jesus is showing them in a very hands-on way that the kingdom he is building operates on a different operating system. It's an upside-down kingdom. The last shall be first. The first shall be last. And he's showing them that serving others is actually one of the essential ways that we follow him. And so we read from Luke 22. They began to argue among themselves about who would be the greatest among them. Jesus told them, in this world, the kings and great men lorded over their people Yet they are called friends of the people. But among you, it will be different. Those who are the greatest among you should take the lowest rank. And the leader should be like a servant. Who is more important, the one who sits at the table or the one who serves? The one who sits at the table, of course, but not here. For I am among you as one who serves. And we spoke earlier of how Jesus is the incarnation of God. He's God with skin on. But today, God still comes to us with skin on. He still comes to us through people, through the body, through the church. So we are called to be God with skin on to the people around us. And that is what it means to have this incarnational faith. And so we love and we serve. And John tells us that we do that not only with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. And in our time with Donnie, one of the things I was so inspired by was just the creativity and the intentionality that um, some of the ideas that he shared. So I'll share one. For him and Jill, one of the things they love to do is they love to cook for people and they love to have people in their home. And obviously, they haven't been able to do that because of social distancing. And so they pivoted. And they still, on a Tuesday, they cook meals for people, but they package them in to-go containers. And then people come by and pick up their food, and that's the opportunity to just chat to them, to pray with them, and then they go blessed with a meal, and they've had an opportunity to interact and serve and love and bless people. And I thought, wow, that's just a beautiful example of love in action. 
And so I'd encourage you where you are, where God has placed you, think of your map. Where are opportunities to be God with skin on and to love and serve the people around you? And not to wait for the church to start a program that you can sign up and get involved in. No, do it where you are. I heard this great quote from Louis Giglio the other day. I am dispatched by the Holy Spirit on kingdom assignments to be light in a darkened world so that others can see Jesus. And in my mind, I kind of pictured this mission impossible moment, you know, where he goes, your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to be dispatched by the Holy Spirit on kingdom assignments to be light in a darkened world so that others can see Jesus. This message will self-destruct in. You know, you can picture it, those of you who've watched the movie. But what a powerful way to view your day or your week or your world that you are dispatched by the Holy Spirit and you are on a kingdom assignment to love and to serve. And often I think the best way that we serve others is to ask a simple question, to just say, well, how can I help? Whether you're asking your neighbor or your colleague at work, your boss at work, whether you're asking your husband or your wife or your five-year-old, how can I help? Whether it's your best friend, whether it's someone in your life group who's going through a really tough time, maybe it's someone who's just received a cancer diagnosis, how can I help? So we serve, and we serve relentlessly. And I chose that word deliberately because I think we can get tired and we can get weary. And in many ways, we can feel overwhelmed that it's quite a thankless task, it's quite an endless task, but that's okay. We serve, because that's what Jesus calls us to do. And when we serve, we are combating our selfishness. We are combating our self-centeredness. And remember, we're not serving out of who we are. We're serving as an overflow of the love that we have already received from God. So let's be those who are fully present, who listen better, and who serve relentlessly, just like Jesus. We're going to pray together. The band's going to come up. I'm going to invite you to stand where you are. Just going to have an opportunity to reflect and to just think about this quite simple message. Maybe just take a moment to reflect on what you feel God is wanting to say to you and to highlight to you personally. Maybe there's people or situations that have sprung to mind. We can hear a message like this and maybe we um, become aware of missed opportunities, missed moments, moments where we have fallen short, moments where we haven't been fully present, we haven't brought our best selves to those moments. So we're going to begin in a place of confession and repentance. We're going to use some prayers to guide us. If you feel comfortable, say it out loud with me as we pray these prayers. So let's confess. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. Let's ask for God's forgiveness. 
Almighty God, have mercy on us. Forgive us all our sins. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, strengthen us in all goodness by the power of the Holy Spirit. And let's invite God to use us. We pray together. Father, help me to live this day to the full, being true to you in every way. Jesus, help me to give myself away to others, being kind to everyone I meet. And Spirit, help me to love the lost, proclaiming Christ in all I do and say. Amen. We're going to sing a song together, and then Ryan's going to close the meeting for us. Over to you, Ben. Thank you.